Here we are on the last evening of our retreat together. And the mind might be moving as we uh, naturally prepare. for heading, heading home in our more everyday places, activities, relationships. It's natural for these thoughts, images you know, to occur. rather than resenting it or getting lost. Just remembering, welcoming, blessing. Because though it might, as we've mentioned, appear like we're making our way through the retreat and finally we're at the last night, that actually the retreat has been unfolding right here within this one mind. So now that's dancing, resonating, manifesting this cascading stream of impressions, the perception might say, oh, last night. But it was also, uh, wasn't it? cascading stream of perceptions the first night with thoughts of how is it going to go and it was this way last year or I'm not sure. As we reflected again and again and again in the monastery, yesterday is a memory. Tomorrow is unknown, and now is the knowing. A memory of that uh, first night rises, reflections are embarking together, introducing ourselves, sensing for the first time your presence, undertaking together a a generation of a safe space and a gift as we resolve the refuges and precepts, recited the great protection chants of ancient times, memory arising and ceasing in this timeless present. Thoughts about, oh gosh, I, I, I wonder if Will anything stick? I'm the Teflon practitioner. God, it just, it just, it's there, it's, it's gone. I know that's, that's good, but it's not good. I, 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 speculation. The future's unknown. Now is the knowing. Can we rest in, 
because we've been practicing being with that uncertainty, the ephemerality, the ultimate uncontrollability of conditions. We can deny that, fight that, but as we've been practicing honoring that vanishing, impermanent, ever-changing nature of sights and sounds and smells and tastes, bodily impressions, sensations, thoughts, images, as we honor that vanishing, ever-changing nature we we find ourselves abiding in, resting in that which knows a place where everything arises and returns, what the Buddha called the the root, the true root, the primal essence of consciousness, the original brightness. These, these are just words pointing to this ground, which is so easy to overlook. So before rushing ahead to the next thing. Let's honor this ending. In honoring endings, even the ending of a sound. Of a sitting period. Of a breath. Honoring the ending of a blink of an eye we touch into that profound characteristic of conditions, the anicca. It's not what we think it is, though perception gives it a name, sounds like a thing. And even just a moment reflecting on an ending, a change. An illusion, an important, profound illusion drops away for a moment this illusion of the way we create things, then locate ourselves, identify, stick to. And when those things let us down, oh, what's going on? Find somebody to blame. So as we savor this, reflect on this ending of the retreat, important part of the practice and giving ourselves a chance to review, to recollect how it's been. We've been, it's been uh, for myself and, and our wonderful team, it's been such a privilege to in a crazy, fragmented, intense, conflicted world in so many ways to have had the chance to spend these these days and nights in a sacred place, in a sanctuary dedicated to supported of this process of awakening to have been supported by this wonderful 
staff here at Spirit Rock. Seeing that we have shelter, seeing that our needs are met, seeing that we have food, nourishment, helping cater for all the, the, the many different needs that we bring. Can we be grateful? Grateful this place and the founders. Going right back to this wouldn't be here without the awakened ones. And we, we really, and I, I feel touched by the effort. You know, congratulations that, we're, that you're here. It's not easy. People might think it's easy, as I mentioned, oh, just sitting on your butt. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed yourself while we're dying out here. But it's walking into the storm, authentically, patiently. <laughs> it can be humiliating, but let's turn that little by little into humbling we face ourselves, tendencies, and get to know that which can rob us of any well-being, that which can perpetuate conflict inside, in the family, in the community, in the country, in the world. So I hope, I hope, however you feel the results are, I hope you can Honor, honor the effort. To hear your voices, not only in our celebration with the chanting, but in our check-ins and and talking. What what the wisdom, the collective wisdom and compassion we have when we take the time to let our reflections be expressed in a context of listening. This cultivation of sangha, being with kindred spirits. This is a, a patient process, encouraging us. Speaking from someone who knows the pain of being in a big hurry, wanting to get enlightened quickly. Okay. But don't be like the old farmer always looking for a shortcut. The rice farmer always coming up with new gimmicks and he announced one morning to his kids, kids, your dad's a genius. (laughs) Not to blow my own trumpet, but I've just doubled Double the growth. Yes, Dad, what? (laughs) I went out early this morning and worked hard in all those rice seedlings, little sprouts. I've doubled their height. Just helping them along. 
Okay, Dad. And he was so disappointed. The next morning, and during the day when they all withered, this, this, we can't drink the whole ocean in one gulp. This, this, this practice is, is patient. As the Buddha said, when you walk into the fog, into the mist, when do you get wet? You can't say, but little by little, the moisture of the mist permeates. Clothing touches skin. Similarly, little by little, as we gather our body, our thoughts, our coming and going, our impressions into this mysterious aura of wakefulness, of awareness. Little by little, awareness illuminates, reveals. And little by little, as we recognize the wrong views, the, the, the way in which we're looking for certainty in that which is not certain, as we little by little abandon that, we, we can gradually find our way home. Uh, <coughs> don't want to interrupt Kitty Sorrow, but, um, you know, I've got it on authority from lots of Zen masters and, and even, even Theravada ones too. Enlightenment's immediate boom happens. Not wanting to argue, <laughs> but and I said, "Thank you. That's that's true. the The principle, the timeless principle, is always here and now. That's important. Any moment we can touch into it. But the falling away of our tendencies to keep concretizing the sense of it's not quite right here but if I just get rid of that that very hope nobody sees it shameful, grumpy, spiteful lustful (laughs) (laughs) just, just I'll get there just stand back That those tendencies fall away uh, gradually. Yeah, that it's timelessly present. Uh, Ajahn Chah, our dear Thai master, put it like this. First one learns the Dharma, but does not yet understand it. Then one understands, but has not yet practiced. One practices, but has not seen the truth of Dharma. Then one sees the Dharma. But one's being has not yet become Dharma. The stream enterer enters the Dharma, sees the Dharma, but their being is not yet fully Dharma. 
Sometimes there'll be anger or desire, and they'll know them. We'll still follow after them, because although they know and see the Dharma, their being is not yet Dharma. The mind has not become Dharma. So we may study the Dharma, understand the Dharma, practice the Dharma, see the Dharma, but to actually fully be the Dharma is something quite difficult. It is a place for each individual to reach, a point where there is no falsehood. From hearing the Dharma all the way to seeing it, you will still have suffering. You won't be fully free of unsatisfactory experience until you are the Dharma. Until you are the Dharma, your happiness will still depend on external factors. You lean on them. You lean on pleasure, on, on reputation, on wealth and material things. You may have all sorts of knowledge, but this knowledge is still tainted by worldliness and cannot fully release you from suffering. You're still like a bird in a cage. Don't be in a big hurry. But we learn the Dharma, we've been learning and getting that principle and then understanding the principle. What's the main principle? That suffering comes when we take these conditions of life, our our, our health, our body, our relationships, our possessions, our moods to be me. This is my nature. And thinking there's security in that when we lean on that and it changes because pleasure turns to pain, confidence turns to doubt, health, top vibrant energy turns to tiredness, illness. So, as Ajahn Chah would say, looking for certainty where there's no certainty, we're bound to suffer. So that's an understanding principle that's important. Then we practice to see that. And not to hate the suffering, but to remember the, the, the honoring it. Our Chinese master, Master Xunhua, said, I like suffering. Because he knew it made him more compassionate and able then to understand it and help others. So let's not hate it. Remember, it's an ennobling truth. And just reflecting on the our practicing of the Dharma. We think, oh, this, 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 this is a special, special thing. What am I going to do at home? 
were too busy at home. Our people would come to Ajahn Chah like that and say that, and he would go, hmm, you're too busy. Are you too busy to breathe? And they would say, no, Ajahn Chah, I'm not too busy to breathe. Well, if you're so busy, how come you have time to breathe? He said, if you have time to breathe, you have time to practice. Do we have a body? We practiced. Training the heart, cultivating the heart to steady through mindfulness. Losing it, not hating the fact that we get distracted. Patiently, kind, returning. Cultivating that invisible but real capacity within us to remember to stay in this moment, using our body, our posture, the impressions as an anchor. Do we have a body at home? (laughs) Learning to, in little ways, not having to have, oh, kitty sorrow, I don't know if I even got John, or maybe maybe I got one in there. Ajahn Chah didn't, he wouldn't be keen on whether you call something 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, 4th John. He says, know when you're agitated. (laughs) Do you know when you're agitated? Do you know when you're a little calm? Ah. Can you sense when you're a little more calm? Can you taste when you're really calm? Ah, but, 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 but what? Our obsession with putting ourselves in some... He wouldn't feed that in us. Just know. And little by little by little, for the rest of our life, in little ways, learn to cultivate a pleasing abiding in the here and now. This is one of the tools. Coming to the body. With a long breath, remembering we're surrounded by vitality. Long out-breath, relaxing. Steadying ourselves, training ourselves to be with the whole body, training ourselves to calm and tranquilize. Even in little ways. Little moments. Driving. In a traffic jam. Oh, just breathing. Waiting in the line. Walking across the room, do we have to already be on the other side or can we enjoy that mini retreat? <laughs> this is not a joke, I am not joking. It is, it's like a year-long silent retreat to give yourself permission just to be with sensations as you walk across the room. Oh no, what will I say and what will they say and what will I say and they say and then after that what will they say? <laughs> And even if that's happening, to let that be, feel that impression and enjoy the steps as they press. And even in a moment to notice change and to remember a finger snap of noticing change is immensely significant for illuminating the nature reminding the heart that by desperately trying to find security and happiness outside, we're just going to create suffering. Reminding the heart for a moment to 
allow, let be. We cultivated vipassana. I don't know, Kitty Saro, yeah, vipassana in here, but you try doing vipassana out there. So is it impossible in a moment to be able to say, hmm, what's happening now? Is that impossible wherever we happen to be? Just for a moment. To ask, how is it now? As our teacher Ajahn Chah would say again and again and again, Benyangni. It's like this. Encouraging us to open our hearts to the suchness. And to allow ourselves to not have to try to control, but to receive. Whatever the reality of the sights and sounds and impressions of wherever we are to reflect, investigate, to notice, is there suffering? And to check if we're trying to wrestle with some boulder. And in a moment, uh, checking if we can just let things be as they are. And as we notice change and, and, and realize the cascading flow of that waterfall-like dancing dust nature of the present moment, there will be a recognition in moments will arise, I can't possess this. There will be a letting be, a letting go, and recognizing that all of this is happening in this spacious, sky-like, empty heart. The great sage Nisargadatta says, wisdom says I'm nothing. not a thing. Compassion says I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. We touch the peace of seeing change, wisdom letting go, I'm not a thing. If we, if we want emptiness to be absolutely empty, our nibbana, our peace, it's true peace for a moment. It's very resentful, angry, quit disturbing my nibbana. And that's why we've been reflecting the importance. What about form? What about, is, is peace just, even though grasping leads to suffering, does peace just mean running away? Then we welcome And not only did the Buddha say that a finger snap of noticing change is of immense benefit. The other thing he said about a finger snap is he said, he was talking to his monks, for one whose awareness is released through goodwill, through kindness, through metta. He said, 
when someone is practicing metta, Ah, wrong sign. (laughs) If a bhikkhu cultivates loving kindness for as long as a finger snap, he is called a bhikkhu, a a monk, an alms mendicant. He is not destitute of true jhana meditation. He carries out the master's teaching. He responds to advice. He does not eat the country's alms food in vain. Just a finger snap. So what should be said of those who make much of this teaching? <laughs> Noticing change for a finger snap takes one to the measureless. Also, kindness, even for a finger snap. So what should be said when we make much of it? Because it's Rather than separative, it keeps including, gathering. Change and kindness. This practice is, is, is not just the one-fold, it's an eight-fold path. We need agility. It starts off clunky, we do this practice, that practice, but we're getting tools, we're learning to tune our practice. As Ajahn Chah would say, when the obstacles come high, you duck. (laughs) Master says duck. (laughs) When the obstacle comes low, you jump. Master says jump. Make up your mind, duck, jump. You can argue, have the jumpers, the duckers. Who's right? Who's wrong? Whole school. We're jumpers. (laughs) We're the high school. It's about balance. Agility. And kindness. So important because we're so driven in all these opinions and with these deep rooted habits. Kindness is not in a big hurry, it allows these orphans of consciousness, these prisoners of the heart, to be blessed and softened. To the end of my days in this life, I'll, I'll remember. Um, an incident when I was a prison chaplain as a monk. I was abbot of a small monastery in the southwest of England uh, in Devon. I used to regularly visit Exeter Prison. There was an Angulimala project. He was a great murderer who the Buddha turned around this murderer, he kept him from being killed by the king's army and turned him around and, and he became one of the great disciples. And Gulimala. And so there was a prison 
project to also make available to prisoners who are interested in Buddhism or in meditation. So one day I was invited to a different prison down in the moors, of, down in Dartmoor. It was a gray place, and at that time it was more high security. And I was going on uh, near the full moon of May, the Buddha's holiday, and the, honoring the Buddha's awakening and his first sermon and his death. Buddhists are very economical. <laughs> Birth, awakening, death, all on the same day. So you can't... <laughs> I just won't go there. So anyway, they, these prisoners had never been allowed to meet in a group. They were all in their individual cells. But uh, because this was a special occasion, I was a monk. Somehow we got permission, so I went. First time in this prison, it's in this bleak moor, and it was a gray, cold day, uh, as in those years often was in, in, in England. And, uh, you know, there was big gray stone walls and met by fairly austere faces and I was guided back through the heavy doors and barbed wire and back into, led by the guards, back to a kind of dingy classroom. And I walked into the classroom and there were about a dozen uh, prisoners, there were men, uh, sitting in a, in a circle. So... I sat down, and, uh, you know, I didn't quite know how to start, but I thought I'd, you know, break the ice, just hear everybody's voice. And right as we're, you know, getting going, suddenly outside the door, the guards are going, Hare Krishna, Harry, 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 have you seen Larry? What about Barry? (laughs) Now, I like Mary. Right contrary. So they were mocking us. And the prisoners who'd never been allowed to, to meet in a group, and this was their special meeting, I detected agitation in the field. Uh, I'm, a, I'm Piscean, I'm sensitive. No, but it was, it was agitated. And, you know, I'm sort of thinking, my goodness... This is not swinging along. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't know what to do. So, you know, it popped into my mind, uh, uh, let's do some meta meditation. So I said, let's do some loving kindness meditation. <laughs> and the guy on my right, dear soul, uh, Arthur, says, I don't have any loving kindness. If I had the chance, I'd break his neck again. So there was a wobble in the field. <laughs> but I practiced breathing with it, feeling, and just remembering what my teacher said. You know, this is... Metta's not pretending. So I said, you don't, you know, have to pretend anything. He, he was in for murder. I said, you, that sense of I don't have any compassion. Metta means... You allow that. You're not adding fighting to that. We're practicing allowing and not adding more fighting. 
and these mocking sounds. We're not pretending to like it, or like them, what they're doing. But we hear the sounds in our feeling, allowing, not fighting, being okay with. And we practiced that. I guided it and we practiced it. And it was just, uh, it's how I feel about this retreat too. We're all prisoners of the heart. <laughs> but there was a meltdown, just as we've had meltdowns. But there was an amazing meltdown as, as, as Arthur started crying. And we just listened to his tears and the taunts and our feelings and the resentment. How could they be not respecting us? But practice moving to the divine abiding, allowing. In our hearts, it's a measureless abiding. Our hearts big, and we were not in prison in those moments. We were not imprisoned by walls. We were not imprisoned by the conviction, I have this, I am that. And eventually the, the mocking faded. Maybe they were touched by us, I don't know. It didn't matter. We weren't harboring ill will. The Buddha said, never is hatred overcome by hatred. Never. Only through love is hatred appeased, the Buddha said. This is the eternal law. In our moments as we go home, It's possible to notice moments of change, letting go, I'm not the thing, touching the heart, and balancing that with moments of kindness, not pretending. Finger snaps of each, powerful. Let's do this. Kindness has many, many blessings, the Buddha talked about. We sleep easier, we wake up easier, nightmares fall away. It's protective. And one that really caught my eye and surprised me, it's beautifying. (laughs) I can hear you. Excuse me, Kitty Sorrow. How long have you been practicing? I'm not saying anything, but when's the last time you looked in a mirror? <laughs> you should have seen me 35 years ago. And you can have everything just right. And if the heart is not kind. I remember in Tibet when we saw weathered, gnarled beings who were just shining with kindness and beauty. Let's remember that. Next time also we get angry, get someone to take our picture. (laughs) 
you know, trust this. We've been using these tools. We have these tools. We'll learn to dance. We'll, we'll mess up, but we'll begin again. We'll deepen our trust. Remember this bowing. Moments of uh, my favorite word in Pali, ancient Buddhist word. My favorite word is namo. means I return. I give back. I honor and surrender. Whatever it is, not pushing it, not throwing it out, but just ah, touching head to the ground, resting in that ground of listening. Namo kwanchi impusa. Namo, I return to the heart of listening. And we've been, we're not hating thought, we're using thought to reflect, but also, as was reminded by our wonderful team, learning to balance thought with the mystery. Using a thought, but learning to moderate thought. Learning to recognize that every thought comes from and returns to that fathomless, immeasurable silence. Namo, resting little by little in moments, minding the gap, plunging into the gap, giving ourselves permission to use thought but also not have to lean on it. Resting in that silence where we're not trying to understand everything cognitively. touching into that mysterious ground that holds it all. When we're not so busy telling ourselves who we are and believing it, telling everybody else who they are and attacking them like butterflies with, I've got that one. They're that way. And guess what? It comes back on us. When we honor the mystery, then we can recognize how magical. As a monk, I used to, my favorite part of the year was when we would go to Dong, which means to shake off all the attachments. We would leave the monastery and go on a long walk for a few weeks. And you, you shake off your attachment to the, this routine, that routine, this familiar thing. It's like going on retreat. We would walk and not know where we were going to sleep and where we would receive food. But it was wonderful for being with the body, being with simplicity one step at a time. I was walking with my assistant monk, my junior monk, fellow monk, and a few postulants. I was walking along, just enjoying, holding Kuan Yin's name, Namo, just resting into the wonders of just simplicity. Then suddenly, an invisible presence tapped me on the head, and whispered in my ear, see that fork in the road, you're supposed to go to the right. Huh? 
And I didn't actually say, oh, excuse me, invisible presence, just though. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I felt it and heard it, so I thought, oh, okay. So then I, I just, uh, as we came, I said to the guys, okay, let, let's go this way. And then my dear junior monk, who, he was the map holder, <laughs> the map reader, and he was good at that, and he was loyal. But he says, <clears throat> Kitty Charlotte, two sides of the triangle, there it is, you know, we got to go that way. We're going left. I said, no, but I, I, I think he says, look, look on the map. See the triangles? So, okay, I was honoring the map reader. So I, I, I decided to go left, as he said, just to make the peace. So we walked down just a little ways down the path, and suddenly out of the blue, I don't know where this guy came from, a guy in a field appeared with a backpack spraying something. He said, I wouldn't come this way if I were you. So I solved it. We went back and then went on that path I had been told to go. So we walked down that path in our single file, quietly just being with the steps. And then up ahead, I I see, what's that? It's this old guy, but making the effort to stand up straight. He's got this thing like a megaphone. He's holding. It's like he's waiting on the road. So we, 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 I walk up, and as I got close, he, he, with this megaphone, I think it was something to, to hear, he could hear. But he said, When the Lord Buddha was enlightened under the Bodhi tree, and he walked to Kasi to turn the wheel of the Dharma and open the gates to the deathless. (laughs) Welcome! (laughs) And, And there in this garden was all this tea stuff laid out our scruffy with our backpacks and this and that. He, he walked us in and, and, and then his, his daughter came to me trembling and saying, he's 80 today. He, I don't know how much longer he's going to live, but we were driving a few hours ago and saw you walking and he said, Are those Buddhist monks? <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I said, yeah, well, I, I think so. And we were praying that you would come our way, but, but we didn't know. And he was in India with the Gurkhas, a colonel, and this, he loved it. And, and they, this lama had taught him about Buddhism, and he showed me his medals and his pictures and his prayer will money, but my own. And the grace, just the grace of the mystery of the compassionate one who listens. Don't be afraid to hold a thought but let it take you to the gap, the silence, the listening.
be kind and patient. It's gradual. We're not going somewhere. We're more and more learning to be here. Not hating the suffering. It ennobles us. That's how we understand it. That's how we've been able to resonate with others. And our deep tendencies will keep appearing. But rather than hating them, we recognize them. In my big hurry in Thailand, I had some insights early on, and poof, if you can get insights this quick, I mean, this thing is rolling. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I, was, I was climbing that hill. <laughs> Doing all the tough practices and adding fasting on top of it because it was too easy. And then not even lying down doing the sitter's practice for three months because uh, that was supposed to be good, so do that. Then the Westerners were talking too much, so I wanted to go to the toughest Ajahn Chah branch monastery with no chit-chat. <laughs> and uh, started getting sick diarrhea for six months, bit by centipede, started urinating blood, ending up in a terrifying hospital. Doctors couldn't figure it out because I was in this really poor rural hospital. The tough, the wonderful tough drill sergeant, Thai, Ajahn Thai senior monk, didn't want the Westerner dying in his monastery. Bless his heart. (laughs) So... Sent me back to the Westerners where, and then it just, darkness set in. Sitting on the platform for the all-night sittings once a week, I'm going to break through, and you know, you find yourself after no time at all, nodding, legs going to sleep. Mind going crazy. Supposed to be climbing the hill to Nibbana and just overwhelmed with lust and desire and grief for the food. And I saw one Laotian, we used this well that the local people would use and there was a, one day this uh, beautiful Laotian girl with this long dark hair and, and, and from a distance as I... Uh, I, I was leaving the well, and then she called out, Lalabal, something like that. Are you finished yet? 
And uh, I kept hearing her asking me if I'm finished yet (laughs) for a long time. (laughs) And uh, one meal a day, you know, you're being mindful and this and that. And I try to be mindful every day. And, you know, next thing I'd know, my bowl would be empty. I would have just eaten this big ball of ice and then feel like a beached whale and hate myself for the next... Never again. And it just... I felt like I would never laugh again. I'd look up the line of monks, bald heads. More bald heads. (laughs) So I asked my abbot if I could go see Ajahn Chah. I really felt stuck in this wonderful Ajahn. Ajahn Pabakro used to be a helicopter pilot in the uh, American Vietnam War. And then after the war, he, he got really inspired by uh, Buddhism and got, after, got out of the army and became a really fine monk. Spoke Laotian fluently and Thai. So he took me to see Ajahn Chah few miles away in Ajahn Chah's monastery and the others were at the chanting and Ajahn Chah was in his hut. Where he lived was on stilts so the, so the insects wouldn't, little moat would keep the insects from chewing up and causing the monks trouble but he would receive guests at an open-air space below the hut. And he had a little wicker chair, so Ajahn Chah was sitting in his chair, and uh, Ajahn Pabakro took me to see Ajahn Chah. You could hear the chanting in the background of the whole monastery. A few hundred yards away, and so Ajahn Chah said, Binyang, well, what is it? I said, Ajahn Chah, I am stuck. My mind is just, it's just lust, Greed it just seems impossible, too, too difficult. And it feels like I'm never going to laugh again. And, uh, and he goes, mm. he asked me to tell me about my previous lives. I talked about, you know, wrestling all the competition, wanting to be the best and in academics, and sports. And he goes, hmm. He says, you know what? You remind me of a baby squirrel. <laughs> so Pabakro says, he says you remind him of a baby squirrel. <laughs> so he starts telling this story. He says, you know, this baby squirrel saw its mom, and this, this mama, she could run up a tree and jump from branch to branch, and the squirrel thinks, yeah, I'm going to do that. And it ran up and jumped and dog. <laughs> it fell down. Boom, hit the ground crying. Ajahn Chah's telling this. Babako's translating it. And the mom says, Son, you got to go to school. So this baby squirrel goes to school, kindergarten, first grade, all this stuff, learning tricks. And he can climb and jump and jump and then dog, which means falling down. And so. He would fall down, and when he'd fall down, Ajahn Chah could make his eyes like go in a circle. 
<laughs> and I was sitting under him and, and uh, so anyway, you know, I'm listening and he's had got this squirrel going to first grade, second grade, you know, he's going to high school, dog. <laughs> Somewhere in college or uh, getting master's or... He had this, thing, this squirrel getting a PhD. <laughs> and I, at some point, just was dying laughing. I just was, was killing myself. And he kept talking and Pabaco kept whispering in my ear. And I was laughing so hard, I was rolling on the floor of his, his uh, hut. And then I, I got up and he looked at me and he said, in one day, that squirrel could do every single thing its mother could do. Could jump and run, agile. And from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, I was just this relief, this joy. This encouragement, you know, you can do this. He could say that with conviction because it's our nature. And I was basking in that glow. And then he said, you know, you also remind me of a donkey. And I'm thinking, what, what, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's stay with this squirrel. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go with this donkey. Anyway, he says, you remind me of a donkey. And uh, Pabaco said, he says, you remind him of a donkey. And, but, you know, it got hopeful. He said, this is a very industrious donkey and a smart donkey. It's clever. It saw, it heard all the music in the forest of the cicadas, and it thought, I want to make music. And, you know, being clever and industrious, it did some homework, it studied, it looked, how do these guys do this? And this donkey, through investigation, saw these cicadas ate dewdrops in the morning. So, <clears throat> the donkey patiently waited till the next morning, but he was a bit excited. <laughs> and he licked dewdrop after dewdrop after dewdrop, hundreds, I said, thousands of dewdrops. And then he was ready <laughs> to make music. And he was so disappointed. <laughs> and Pabakro says, and he was so disappointed. <laughs> And the story ended. <laughs> and as I've said on countless occasions, I blotted the donkey story out for years until Tanisera <laughs> insisted I bring that donkey back. It's not making ourselves something else. It's where this kindness, finding our sound, coming out of with our body, our kindness, our investigation, so that our nature reflects through in our own way.
Yes, the practicing like the baby squirrel, we, we, we practice, we keep studying, doing these teachings, and it, it, will, it will happen. The Buddha says it's inexorable because it's a one-way path. It's a direct path. It's a pathway home, this mindfulness. It takes us home to what is. That's our nature. But we need to be careful about this and in our culture, this, this insidious comparing mind trying to be what we, somebody else, we're working with this body, this sound, blessing it with kindness, investigation, allowing the Dharma to flower through us. So keep going. Take heart. Thank you. For those who wish, there can be a walking and a last sitting for those who sense the need to rest, rest well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.